IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On the show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we hand out our mid-year IndieCasties. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. Be sure to see him on TikTok doing the Pine Grove Shuffle. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I would just love to go back to 2018 and say that exact sentence to somebody and have them guess what it means to be on one TikTok doing two the Pine Grove Shuffle. But this is our first week. This is our first time doing two consecutive weeks of uh, mentioning TikTok trends, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we are trying to lower the median age of our listener from like 35 to like maybe like 34 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gradually moving it down a little bit. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one because <laughs> you showed this to me yesterday. There's this trend on TikTok where you have Zoomer people, young people, doing this like weird shuffling dance to a song by the indie rock band Pine Grove, a band beloved in some quarters, beleaguered in others. I mm. believe that they're currently on hiatus. That is correct. Uh, but they are getting like a big bump from this TikTok trend. What is the song that people are dancing to? So it's 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 a song called Need Two, which is from the uh, you know the the compilation album they put out prior to Cardinal uh, in 2015, and you know it's an old song. It's like kind of like a harness your hope sort of uh, affair. But so I'll just explain as our list as our 35 year old average listener has their brains leaking out of their ears. I'll try to explain what's happening here. So someone, just some guy, like I can't explain it better than some guy. He posted a video of him doing some combination. It looks like an Irish jig, but also the uh, shoot dance from JB Blockboy, if anyone remembers that from 2017. (laughs) And it says Pine fucking Grove. And so it's it's gone viral to the point where DJ Khaled has done a Pine Grove shuffle. And here's... Here's the funniest part. That and, he's dance- and, and DJ Khaled is dancing to the Pine Grove song. Yes, that is, to my knowledge, I've not done a lot of research on this. This is like breaking news as far as like IndieCast goes. But and, and, and did DJ Khaled know who Pine Grove was before this? I'm guessing probably not. I don't know. I mean, like maybe, it's, maybe he's caught up to it. Maybe he's like fucking around with uh, Cardinal and he's gotten the box tattoos on his arms. So, so you think that he was like already a fan... And then he saw this trend and he's like, now I'm going to out myself as a Pine Grove fan. Like, I bought Cardinal back in 18. <laughs> you got the, uh, but I, but you got the I, overlapping I, rectangle uh, tattoos like everyone else. Yeah, but I'm keeping it under wraps. There's been some weird controversy with this band. Maybe I don't want to publicly profess my love. <laughs> but now there's a hiatus. Maybe there's some time passed. And now I'm going to out myself as a Pine Grove fan. Yeah, I mean, you think that's a scenario here? Yeah, you know, like next it'll be like you know, Money Bag Yo featuring Evan Stevens Hall on uh, the next DJ Khaled album. <laughs> but it, the, the there are two parts that like there are two parts of this which I find to be awesome. The first of which is that you know Pine Grove is you know, more or less on hiatus, and uh, somebody somebody showed me that um, 
that on Spotify they've like repackaged Need To as like a new EP. It's the same song. Like they haven't re-recorded it, anything like that, but they've added three alternate versions, like a hyperspeed version, a fat like you know what they do on TikTok. And so now it's up on Spotify. You know, like as what tends to happen when bands have old songs that become, you know, TikTok hits like Surf Curse or like King Khan and the Barbecue Show. And the but the part that really like we, we've talked so many times about like what it might be like to be a little less online and the tech articles that men like talk about this, they have to kind of do a basic primer on Pine Grove where it's like they're a rootsy literary indie band that has fans called Pine Nuts and they went on hiatus. And wait, 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 wait. Is that a real thing? Pine, Pine Grove fans are called. Oh, absolutely. Called- that is extremely real. That is, was. Uh, read any read any article about them from 2016. I think people tend to forget just how beloved this band was. Yeah, I know, but Pine Nuts? Yeah, I know, right? They're, look, that band always had like an element of like corniness to them and uh, you know, that the, the weirdest career. They have the weirdest career maybe of any indie band of the last 10 years. Is there like a weirder arc like i want to see their wikipedia page <laughs> you know like where you have the different sections that yeah. describe their career it is such a weird arc and yeah. it is confounding like there's so <laughs> many things that have happened to them that i i still don't understand this tiktok thing you know you go online and you see people posting these tiktoks and they'll be like this goes so hard. <laughs> or I've watched like a hundred of these in a row. <laughs> and you just don't know, is there, is this ironic? Is this like a, we think this is legitimately awesome type thing? I I don't know. It's so weird, but it's like another weird thing in this band's career. Yeah, and if you read any of the tech articles about this, it's like literally the 1975 lyric about not know like they didn't know all the weird stuff. Like nobody mentions anything about like the controversy, which I don't know. I mean, I think that's there's something kind of uh, in not endearing about it, but it's like like when I meet people like, I literally meet people in 2023 when the band Brand New comes up. It's like, oh, yeah, what happened? To, like, wait, they got canceled? I didn't know about that. Like, people who keep up with music. It's it's just wild, like, what sticks or doesn't stick when you're not completely online. And I know that's a very bizarre thing to say about a TikTok trend, but I don't know. Maybe Pine Grove, like, comes back to get signed to Atlantic Records or something like that. Like, all these other, uh, you know, bands that get, like, kind of popping off TikTok. I don't think we're done with the weirdness. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, that whole thing with the Pine Grove scandal, it's still weird to me just because it was very vague. And it, it, it's not clear exactly what happened. There's some sort of grooming perhaps going on there. Is that the story? Oh, my or God. Was, like we, we, I don't know. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, do we want to even relitigate that? I don't know. I, but and I, and I don't want to classify that as, like, weird because it is not just weird. It's... But again, I don't even know what it is. So anyway, maybe just put that in a box for now over there. And I'll just say, man, this is like an amazing thing. The uh, the Pine Grove shuffle. We'll see uh, how that adds to the Pine Grove saga here. But yeah, definitely a very unusual career that band has had. Yeah, I'm hoping other I'm hoping other bands from 2016 have TikTok trends. Let's get like a sidekick trend, or maybe this is how like the Hotel Year comes back. Who's to say? Yeah, I don't know. I I. I it's just fascinating to me how these things develop. 
Yeah. And <laughs> how organic is it? And how and how is it? Is there any element of like record label like machinations going on? But but how would even like a publicist or record label executive come up with an idea like this? I, I, I it's such a random thing. Let's take this early Pine Grove song, and let's have this earnest young man. What was it doing an Irish jig and like what was the other dance? You, you got to watch it for yourself. I can't do it justice, but I've seen it and it does not make it any more. Uh, doesn't make it any clearer to me. It's even more <laughs> confusing after watching the video. Yeah, I mean, um, all these labels have tried to you know engineer something like that. You know, it's, you've heard it from like Halsey and other pop artists where like it, it is very real that like labels want you to make a TikTok trend and this. The the one thing that I love about it is that it is so completely random. You can't engineer it. Like you can try, but like it is impossible to do so. So pivoting away from the Pine Grove thing, because this is still very odd to me. I I'm gonna have to raise our median age for listener again <laughs> into like thirty five and a half, maybe even thirty six, uh, because there was uh, two shows announced this week. Very near and dear to my heart. Guided by Voices. Possibly my favorite band of all time. Definitely in the conversation. They announced these two 40th anniversary shows taking place in Dayton, Ohio. There's a bunch of supporting acts. Dinosaur Jr. and Kiwi Jr. are on the first night. I just noticed that they're both yeah. junior Yeah, where's Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. in this when we need them? Yeah, that, that, yeah the, their booker dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> Um, and then on the second night, you have Built to Spill, uh, Heartless Bastards, and Wednesday. So just a jam-packed bill for the 45-year-old indie rock fan. Uh, it's going to be amazing. I'm actually going to these shows with two of my oldest and dearest friends. Uh, and we used to go see Guided by Voices all the time in the early aughts. We would follow them around like they were the Grateful Dead of beer, <laughs> you know? It was amazing. And now like we're we're all gonna go to Dayton. We already rented the Airbnb. I already bought the plane ticket. And I'm just imagining it as like, you know those movies like Wild Hogs and Las Vegas? <laughs> you know, like where you got like Robert De Niro and uh, Michael Douglas and like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. And like Travolta, like all these old guys, they get together for like one last adventure. There's also like the female equivalent where you have like 80 for Brady. Yes. And uh, Book Club. You know, it's like some combination of like Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably, Diane Keaton, I'm of sure, course. is involved somewhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm picturing this is my version of that. I'm not quite as old as those people. This is like 45 for Pollard, you know, (laughs) instead of 80 for Brady. Uh, But uh, I'm very excited about it. This is middle-aged indie rock fan Woodstock, I think, (laughs) uh, for 2023. It's going to be amazing. I hope I don't overdo it. You know, I'm I'm older now. I'm not in my early 20s anymore. So I got to be careful with that, but I think it's going to be great. I think it will be good content for this show as well. Yeah, I mean the men's room, the men's room situation is just going to be off the fucking chain. It's like the uh, 
when my wife went to the Indigo Girls concert last year and like they had to temporarily reassign most of the men's rooms to women's rooms like people like I would not put it past people to like wear an adult diaper because like you were saying like people might be drinking at this show as if we were back in the alien lanes days and when that like third Miller High Life kicks in you do not want to be in line uh, you know, missing 15 different uh, Guided by Voices songs. I, yeah, do, I mean, do you know if uh, Robert Pollard's stage banter is as good as it used to be? Oh, yeah. Okay. I saw them uh, last year, I think it was. I think it was 2022. It might have been 2021. It must have been 2022. And, uh, I mean, the whole show was great. It was like one of my favorite times seeing them in recent years. But, yeah, Pollard is hilarious. <laughs> okay. And... You know, I've never been to Dayton, Ohio. I'm excited to go to Dayton. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been to uh, to Ohio. Period. What? I'm trying to remember. I don't think I've been to Ohio. Ohio is not close to me. It is like Ohio is the Midwest, sort of. It's like the edge of the Midwest or the beginning of the East Coast, and you might have to almost split it in the middle, right? With that state, um, Dayton is on the west end of the state so you could count that as part of the midwest i mean i'm flying there because it's like an 11 hour drive from where i live and uh which would be fun on the way because one of my friends who lives in wisconsin he's gonna drive part of the way but the drive back is bad after a trip like that i've done that before that's when you wish you had like the star trek technology (laughs) you know that you could just like be beamed up right It'd be like, I'll, I'll pay ten thousand dollars to be beamed <laughs> out of my hotel room and sent to my my home. Yeah, and so I was like, I'll, okay, I'm gonna get a plane ticket mainly for the for the way back because it's gonna probably it's gonna be a couple days of of hitting it, and I'm gonna be really tired. This is like Labor Day weekend too. So oh Lord, want to get back? Actually, Pearl Jam is playing in Minneapolis the day before I go on this trip, so it's gonna be. This is like gonna test my 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 body here it's my you know it's right before i turned 46 oh my. <laughs> i know i could have a stroke this weekend yeah this is like hopefully the, that won't happen it's like the 24 hours of le mans for like a 47 <laughs> year old like uh you know rock guy i mean but yeah, I this is you. like yeah this is like yeah triathlete here i'm gonna have to be training these next couple months to make sure i'm okay to survive this time so it's gonna be fun i'm looking forward to it but yeah it's gonna be great i'm excited to go to dayton i'm i'm anticipating that there's gonna be guest stars which in the guided by voices world just means that like some guy that pollard played baseball with in the (laughs) 70s will show up with a six-pack on stage which for me would be a thrill you know if that's what it is it'll be great um Maybe Phoebe Bridgers will show up too. Like she could just show up with the guy from the baseball team in the seventies. You know, Phoebe just flies in because it's a it's a cool event that she's got to show up at things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be a good time, I think. Yeah, I'm hoping that like Dayton like really just lays it all out the way like you know Indio does when Coach Shell is happening, where like you see these rando houses like yeah, pay five dollars for parking in our front lawn. It's totally cool. Like all the. Uh, all like the liquor stores and Seven Elevens do like guided by voices themed sales and promotions. I could see it, man. Again, it's Labor Day weekend, so it's a confluence of, <laughs> you know, it's already the end of summer. 
you know, it's it, it's it's the end of cookout season, and then you've got this guided by voices thing going on. It should be pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, there are some new albums out this week, and we should touch on these like a little bit. Um, you know, we're going to be getting to our indie casties here in a minute. And one of our categories, as always, is most memory hold album. And we have some candidates, I think, <laughs> that are coming out this week. I'm curious to see what kind of legs they have. You have a, 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 a new Killer Mike record. Yeah, I've listened to I've listened to that one. Like the first song has a hook from CeeLo. He, I'm like, it's like one of those albums <laughs> oh, where I'm just where I'm just like kind of surprised there isn't any cancel culture bars within the first ten minutes. But yeah, this sounds like real pull your pants up dad rap. Well, I heard that there's like some wokeism content. Oh, cool. Is that right? I mean, I, I'm sure there is. I, like, I guarantee there is. This is like, like a drive-by headline I saw. Oh. I thought it said something like, Killer Mike goes against wokeism. That is like the most predictable fucking thing imaginable. <laughs> like, all, like besides the fact that it's being produced by No ID and has like gospel flavor to it. And, I mean, the guy has a show called Trigger Warning. Like, you know he's got like the Bill Maher sort of, uh, you know, the, the Bill Maher trajectory going on where he's just asking questions i mean we, like we could see this coming a mile away i tried listening to it yesterday i know that like a lot of people who are excited about a queens of the stone age record are going to be excited about this too but yeah i could not make it halfway through well it's funny that you mentioned queens of the stone age because there is a new queens of the stone <laughs> age album out this week and i'll say you and i are gonna probably disagree on this i um i don't know I've been on a little bit of a Queen's kick lately because I recently revisited Like Clockwork, their 2013 album, for a column I'm, I'm working on that's going to come out next week. Ooh. And uh, I think that's like a, a, a quite strong record. I remember liking it at the time, but it was really hitting the spot for me this week. And I definitely feel like it's like the best album they've made outside of the first three. My God is the Sun is, that's such a kick-ass song. And I sat by the ocean, and if I had a tail, and I know there's like a bunch of bangers on that song, uh, on that album. I think it's good. Uh, this new album is called In Times New Roman. And um, I'm inclined to give a deferred judgment on this record at the moment, because I've been listening to it a bit this week, and it reminds me of the first record a little bit in that I think it's like Queens of the Stone Age and like they're weirder guys and like less sort of pop rock uh, feel. Like there's not a ton of catchy songs on this record. It is more of them in that kind of like dark, disaffected, more experimental mode. And, you know, Josh Ome has been doing all these interviews. He's talking about how, he recently had a cancer scare, and of course, you know, we've talked about he's had problems, uh, he's, he's gone through a divorce, and there's been, like, custody issues that have played out in the press. He also lost two good friends of his, Taylor Hawkins and Mark Lanigan, right. uh, died. Uh, so he's going through all this heavy stuff, and you can feel that on the record. And I don't want to dismiss this record outright, because my initial impression is that it's not a great record. But... I do wonder if it's going to have some of that like clockwork juice for me moving forward. Because I think the power of like clockwork is that it's similarly kind of like a dark vibes type album. And it's not really meant to 
hit you in the face with a song like Feel Good Hit of the Summer or No One Knows, you know, like these undeniable bangers. It's not really made for that. It's more of like a a vibe type album. So while I don't love this record yet, I don't want to throw it in the, in the memory hole quite at this moment. I, I, I feel like I want to sit with this one. I think it could... It could become a grower record for me. That's another category we have in IndieCast. These like grower album of the year. Maybe this will be a grower album for me in the second half of 2023. Yeah, I, I listened to it. It's fine. Yeah, like I, I would. This is kind of spoiling the comeback uh, category that we have. But yeah, I'm like with with like Foo Fighters making like such a celebrated return after you know what is 10, 15 years of like kind of okay stuff. I think that you know, puts bands like Queens of the Stone Age on notice that like, hey, you can make a, a really awesome record this late into your career, you know, kind of similar to what Deftones did with Ohms uh, in 2020. And of course, I got to mention Jimmy World's Integrity Blues. I, like, what what would it take for Queens of the Stone Age to like have their version of that? Like, I, I, I think that I'm not in a position to, you know, appreciate that because like, the early stuff, that's like, you know, peak dirtbag for both the band and myself. And neither myself nor Josh Homie uh, really needs to go back to that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It depends on what you define as a return to form. Right. Where if you want like a record like Rated R, you know, I don't know if he's interested in that. It doesn't seem like he's been into that lately. It is, you know, certainly on this record. Like, I don't think he's attempting to do, like, what Foo Fighters did on their latest, which was really go back to the sound of the first three, of the first three albums and and evoke that late 90s period like they haven't, I would say, in, like, 20 years. I, I think it's longer than just 10 or 15. Um, I don't think that's what Josh uh, Olme is trying to do on this album. Um, and again, I'll, I'll stump for Like Clockwork. I, I, I think that's a really good record. I think they've only put out one other album since then i think villains was the only other record you're probably which is a, right uh, which is, and, I, and i and i can't remember a song from villains i i right. have to say and i reviewed um, that album did you know i'm sure that? i did too <laughs> i'm sure i did too and i don't remember what i thought of it hey look at this on all music guide like clockwork is a five-star album yeah look it's a good album yeah it's a good album i i, I think it's like a quite I, it's definitely the strongest album of their post three awesome. yeah First, like tr- like trilogy of of the opening salvo from them, right? Um, and I do get a similar vibe from this record. I think it could age into that, but I think it's an album that you got to give time to because, again, you're not going to get the adrenaline rush of like a feel good hit of the summer from this record. Yeah, uh, and if you're wondering why we're talking about this band on IndieCast, I keep forgetting they're on Matador now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. See, yeah, they're 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 indie rock. Yeah, they've been indie rock for a while. Um, I think like Clockwork might have been on Matador. It was, yeah. So that was like their first Matador. So they've been, yeah, they've been indie rock for, I mean, you know, a for decade. This, <laughs> I mean, we're not normally this, uh, you know, picky in terms of defining <laughs> indie rock, you know, uh, in terms of label affiliation. All right, well, let's get to our indie casties here. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, there is like that Segura Rose album that came out this week. Do we want to mention that at all? I mean, I feel like we should at least mention that that came out. Yeah, in terms uh, of- I reviewed it. Um, I I enjoy it, and uh, you know, I, it's funny because they like Queens of the Stone Age haven't put out an album, or they did, or no, they haven't put out an album in a decade. I th- I, I get Quaker and uh, 
like clockwork mixed up in my mind like that was the metal album Sigur Ross tried to do. I think it was awesome, but it also came out the same day as Sunbather, which like rendered it like completely redundant. Uh, this new one's good. I think Sigur Ross is a future yay or nay for us. I'm very much in the yay category. Yeah, I, they're I, they're like a push for me because mm. I haven't really gone deep with this band, so I can't yay or nay them. Uh, well, I'll, what was the middle one? The the Nyak Nyak. Oh, Nyack. I'm trying to remember, yeah. Named after that town. Oh, yeah, Nyack, New York. New York. <laughs> Nyack, New York. I'll, I'll Nyack uh, that band for now. Uh, let's get to our indie casties here, because we got a lot of categories to get to here. And, you know, award shows always run long. So we want to make sure that our listeners, you know, aren't waiting hours and hours throughout all of our categories. <laughs> you know, I realized that, like, we didn't really list these categories in our outline in order of like maybe most anticipated <laughs> is that a problem or because i'm fine with the order as yeah, it is we're about but, to find yeah. out if it's a problem maybe this is just our way of like engagement you know or maybe that like your average award show maybe there's like one of the people in like the lower ranks at the grammys or the oscars listening to this and it's like hey guys i got i got this crazy new idea to change our format yeah, like, why not do it like the inverted pyramid? You right. You know, like, the, the news, you get the most important thing at the top, and you get less and less important, and people can decide whether they want to bail or not. Yeah, it's like Kiss starting uh, out every show with rock and roll all night and ending it. <laughs> with what? Like... Oh, sorry, we're ending it with rock. That's what I heard about Kiss, is that they begin and end each show with rock and roll all night. Oh, really? Oh, that's that's what, I've, I've heard that. I can't verify it, but... <laughs> I like it. I yeah. like it. Um, all right, let's get to our first category here. Most valuable album cycle. Now, for new listeners of the show, we've done this category before. And what we mean by most valuable album cycle is, is this, like, what, what was the album cycle that gave us the most to talk about on this show? Like, what was the most entertaining? The album itself like the quality, it doesn't really matter. We, we're not we're not assessing that in this category. It's purely about the narrative of the album, the discourse. Did it inspire episodes for us? Did it inspire think pieces for other people? Really, kind of leaning into the word "valuable" here. We're talking valuable for us music pundits out in the world. Uh, these are the nominees, and you and I, you know, we, we both had nominees uh, mm-hmm. for this category. We've got uh, Boy Genius, multi-nominated yeah. in the indie casties this year, of course, because that's like one of the big albums of uh, the first part of 2023. You have The Dare. Hell yeah. You got The Dare in there. You've got Wednesday. You've got Monoskin. Uh, one of the most critically revived albums. Or, <laughs> critically not, revived. Not revived. <laughs> reviled albums. Yeah. Um, Blonde Shell, that's you. Yeah. That's like the indie, you know, that's like the, like, like the women talking nominee. <laughs> you know, like, probably not going to win Best Picture, but you know, you will, you want to, you want to recognize it. And Lil Yachty. Yes. Um. So we each picked a winner here. So I know what my winner is. Like, what was your winner in this category? Yeah, I, I, I think if we're looking at like purely indie, it's got to be Wednesday. That album cycle made quite a few writers uh, a bit of money. You know, like everyone got to do an interview for that one. 
but when I think of like most valuable album cycle, like uh, you were you were originally going to make a joke about like Joel Embiid winning MVP, and uh, you know I think of valuable not in the sense of like the best, but like the most valuable. Like if you take away this album cycle. What do we have to talk about? And similar, like how the Sixers would be like a 15-win team without Embiid, even if he isn't Jokic. And I'm going to go with the dare. I feel like this is um, just a just such a sign of the indefatigable. Uh, I was about to say indefatigable. That's not a word. I should oh, I, I should have practiced that word. But yeah, that's you. That was you. Like. Putting up a half court shot, yeah. Right there. That is my that is my like uh, swaggy <laughs> p heat check there. But I think the dare just shows the resilience of indie music Twitter. Like you know, we always have a lot of doom and gloom on this show about like one publication going under and people losing jobs. But I, I'm of the belief that the the indie music Twitter narrative will always endure. And the dare is just such proof of that because like we've said on previous episodes, this album is like not that popular. Um, It's made so little impact outside of these little, like uh, these little sewing circles on, uh, you know, Twitter that it just shows just how resourceful we can be. Uh, you know, when there's like even just the tiniest bit of narrative to, you know, it's like one of those like spongy dinosaurs where you put water on it and it grows to like 15 times the size. I got to say, like, I got to say the dare is, is winning it in 2023. My winner is also the dare. I think this is the obvious choice. And to go back to the sports analogy, I think that you could liken the dare to the Miami heat in the sense that, like, the Heat did not have a whole lot of talent. They weren't that big. You know, they, they had injuries. You know, they were always the underdog. And yet they were able to maximize what they had to a degree that almost allowed them to win the NBA title. And I think with the Dare, again, as you said, not actually that popular. Only has one song that has, like, over a million streams. He only has four songs total at this point, and I think that amounts to about 12 minutes of music. <laughs> and yet, there are, online, if you Google the Dare sex EP, I counted it up, there are 1.7 million think pieces about this record. I might be exaggerating that slightly, but I'm pretty sure I counted it last night. 1.7 million think pieces about this album. Most of them slamming this album. Actually, it's not an album. It's an EP. Correct. And it's a very short EP. Um, So maybe on a technicality, it shouldn't even be in this category because it's not technically an album uh, cycle. But anyway, be that as it may. (laughs) Yeah, this this record has just maximized the outrage so much. And you just wonder, like, is the dare, are they going to have anything left over when they do drop an album? Or has have the think piece... Like resources already been exhausted. That's going to be the thing that we find out uh, with, with with the dare. Can I just say, like, okay, since we both agree on the dare, I'm also going to throw some love to Monaskin too, hmm. uh, because Monaskin actually is a popular band, and I've written about this band a few times. And can I just say, did very good traffic both times. Right? <laughs> Not to brag or anything, but they brought in the traffic, Monaskin. So for that, I love them. Um, but this was another band that people just felt emboldened 
to like take a shit on. <laughs> and you and I, I think, are always inclined to defend those bands. Absolutely. Yeah, you because know, it's like, you know, it's a little too easy sometimes to take shots at certain acts. You know, it's like it allows the the writer to uh, to sort of posture and strut around like they're like they're like they're this truth teller but you're really kind of picking on like the easiest thing that there is to make fun of um but yeah man monoskin i think monoskin really gave us a lot to write about in the first half of 2023 so the dare number one just because of what he maximized like just the bare minimum material and just how much discourse got wrung out of that i think is an amazing achievement but monoskin i think is a strong number two Mm. and really maybe the dare is like joel Embiid. And Monoskin is Jokic because you have maybe the like less deserving person winning number one and the actual like winner being at number two. Well, I think the I think the similarities between the Dare and Embiid uh end with them being way too both way too online. But you know, when it when it comes to, when it comes to discourse, the Dare's got that dog in him. He's Jimmy Butler when it comes to that. Yep. He does. Beautiful. All right, well, now let's get to our next category. And this is another big one. See, this is one that maybe should have gone at the end. Mm. I, I'm, I'm having second thoughts about how we're planning this. But that's okay. I think people will hang in with us. This is Most Annoying Music Writer Twitter Story. And we've talked about this before on the show. We talked about it last week. How there's a strong favorite here in this category. The everything, everywhere, all at once of this category. Which is the Taylor Swift, Maddie Healy madness but you know what i went into our archives to look at other things we talked about uh so far this year and i was surprised that there's actually like a pretty strong field against this uh front runner to the point where i feel like this is way more of a race than i would have thought so here we go here are the nominees taylor swift maddie healy you got frank ocean at coachella You've got Meg White is a bad drummer. That whole thing. Uh, you've got the Beyonce versus Harry Styles thing at the Grammys. Like Literally forgot was, that happened. Yeah, that's this year. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> but that was this year. No, that was February. Um, and that, So those are the ones I nominated. Then you had anything about the Eras Tour with Taylor Swift. Another Taylor Swift thing. I don't know. If, I guess she's double nominated. This year, uh, she's like Coppola doing Godfather Part Two in the conversation. Like she's just on a roll right now. Dime Square, that whole thing, and I guess Indie Sleaze, and then Rihanna quiet quitting the Super Bowl, which you could almost group with Frank Ocean. That could almost be like the same thing, where it's people defending bad performances for mm-hmm. dubious reasons. I mean, that's the common thread there. Um, so anyway, a strong field here. Who's your winner out of all these nominees? Yeah. So the fact that we're like double dipping on, you know, the Eras tour, like I I think that we just need to bring up this one article, which blew my mind. It's in forward. It says Taylor Swift fans have amnesia. So did Jews after Sinai. Swifties (laughs) can learn how to process their memory loss from the Talmud. Um, I won't get into how this plays it out, but you know, this is this has been kind of the baseline for discussion about it. But you know, if I gotta choose one that's like the most annoying like 
you would think Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy would win this in a walk. But, you know, that to me is just like sort of gossip rag type stuff. The most annoying music. Yeah, but like there's the element of like, oh, Taylor Swift ruined her reputation. Right. With Maddie. I think it's more of that stuff. And like just going insane. Right. About her love life. More than like them dating, period. Like that is the annoying part of that. Anyway, so for just me, wanted to clarify that, th- and that is a, that's an important clarification. But if I'm like reading this like word for word, most annoying music writer Twitter story, it's got to be Frank Ocean at Coachella, because people really saw this as some sort of extinction level event in music, uh, or at least in like the indie rock narrative. People were talking about like how, yeah, this is the end of like the 2010s or how, you know, artists don't want to be Radiohead anymore uh, because people just wouldn't accept the fact that like Frank Ocean, you know, maybe didn't think this <laughs> performance entirely through. And like it not to the same degree that I forgot the Harry Styles versus Beyonce at the Grammys thing happened, but like I can't. Like, I hadn't thought about this until I saw it in the outline. Because the way people talked about Frank Ocean at Coachella and, like, the, the I guess, the half-life of that story was just so out of proportion that it just seemed to me like, yeah, I, I was right to be annoyed about this. Okay, I gotta say, this is a weird thing. I'm gonna agree with you again. Frank Ocean at Coachella. That's what I had written down. I don't know if like Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy, if that was too f- strong of a front runner and we got fatigued with that and now we're looking at alternatives. I think it burned do, too bright too quick. But I think Frank Ocean at Coachella, what is annoying about it to me is that you had the material there for this to be one of the most fun stories of the half year because you have this pop star headlining at Coachella with an insanely elaborate show that doesn't make any sense. Like he's got like <laughs> figure skaters in there. He's got like all of this production going on. And it just seemed like at some point he realized that this was like a shit show and it just wasn't going to work. And I just feel like there was so much material there for us just to have fun with it, to like laugh about it. But no, you can't do that, especially with someone like Frank Ocean, where there's a cohort of people out there that will take every single thing that he does with so much seriousness. And it's like to laugh at Frank Ocean is like, you know, you know, urinating on the crucifix or something like for a Christian person. Like it's like a, it's sacrilege for people. And I think it's that aspect of it that I find like the worst part of that story. Because this ties to the Rihanna thing, is that we're in this era now, like where you can't just sit back and like laugh at pop stars failing. You know, like that used to be like a reliable source of entertainment. Like a pop star would go on television, they'd lay an egg, people crack a bunch of jokes, and we move on, you know, and it's just the gay old time that we have. And you can't really do that as much anymore. It's like, no, we have to read in. We have to do like the four-dimensional chess with this. (laughs) And we have to look at Frank Ocean or Rihanna. And we have to say that on some level, it's noble that they, you know, shit the bed with these performances. That they were doing something intentional with this. That this is something that you ought to salute. And I should say, in fairness to Rihanna, Rihanna's pregnant. Right. She was at the Super Bowl. So I cut her a... A lot more slack. Frank Ocean, I think, Not and pregnant. I even cut, <laughs> I'm, I even cut him some slack 
because in terms of like, you know, him being in the situation where he's over his head and it just didn't work and it's kind of a disaster. But yeah, I think just the conversation about it, it's so lacking in like a sense of fun, you know, and it, it, it's so like goddamn serious about these people. Like, can't we just laugh about this disastrous Coachella thing? Like, I just feel like that would be healthier for all of us to be able to do that. Yeah, I just want to point out that you mentioned both shitting the bed and uh, pissing on the cross. I mean, <laughs> I just got to point out to our audience that Steve has been watching The Idol, so maybe he's going for a slightly more edgy talk about it. But that's true. Yeah, that's true. But you're, but but yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'm just, I'm just like uh, we. If we have like post production, Brian can like pipe in Led Zeppelin. Does anyone remember laughter? Uh, <laughs> Does anybody remember laughter? Yeah, oh, we just up the uh, at, we just up the demographic age to like forty five with that joke. Oh we were doing God. a piss yeah. poor job of appealing to the youth, but yeah, yeah, we're gonna have like AARP commercials in this uh, show like before we know it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's I'm amazed how much we're agreeing so far. I was not expecting us to agree. I think we're we're about to have some disagreements. I think I'm looking forward to it. Judging by our outline, we have some disagreements coming up. But right now, we're on the same page. Let's get to our next category. Most memory hold album. Now, we talked about this already with some of the records coming out this week. If we wonder if those are going to be memory hold. Um, memory holding, of course, this is where we're talking about records that just came and went very quickly. And just seem very forgettable, like, already. And it's not necessarily that these are bad albums. They just don't seem like particularly like impactful albums, particularly for the artists that we're talking about. These are all these are all artists who are like significant, you know, who are famous, who have put out much beloved music in the past, who you would expect to have a little bit more of an impact, but it just seems like they they put out records that people forgot pretty quickly. Uh, so the nominees here are M83. I'm gonna do a heavy sigh before this first one. I feel bad about this. I'm not saying they're going to win. The National. Gorillas. Don't feel bad about that at all. <laughs> and then you put Shania Twain and Miley Cyrus. I did. I, and that, those are two good choices. Shania Twain, I don't remember her album at all. So maybe I should pick that one. I do feel like Shania Twain is like a way past... Her commercial prime. I guess there is this thing of like people wanting to reassess her catalog. I mean, is that what you mean? That like there was an opportunity to do that and it didn't exactly happen? Yeah, absolutely. The only reason I would have like Shania Twain and Miley Cyrus, and I think we could put like Ray Schremert in there as well, is that you get there, there's like this buildup, this like ambient sense that, you know, like most things from, you know, previous ever that were popular and perhaps not taking all that seriously as pop that like people were really gearing up to like make a full body defense of like, yeah, they're like better than ever. And like, and then they just release these albums that just kind of flop and you can just sense the disappointment <laughs> in people where it's like, man, I like, I, I, I know I hate when I have like a narrative built up to like talk about a legacy act and like, they just don't come through for me. So I could see the air coming out of the balloon with those particular acts. Well, what's your winner here? We've got 
some pretty strong candidates here. I think I know who I am going to pick, but I'm curious, like what's your most memory hold album? So I'm not willing to write the national off just yet because of the tour that's happening. And by the way, I got to mention the 11 year old girl that I saw at the boy genius show wearing a 2023, the national tour t-shirt. Nice. I, I, I'm dying to know what her favorite song is, but um, I'm going to go with Gorillas here, and I'll tell you why. Like, maybe it's not the biggest flop of the bunch, but uh, my favorite, well, I, I just love the po- like the possibility. I'm not saying this is happening, but just the mere possibility that this album flopped so hard that Damon Albarn actually felt like, fuck, I got to make a Blur album now. So we might be seeing like the real-time impact of Gorillaz uh, kind of flopping here. Yeah, I mean, again, I, we've talked about this on the show. Like, Gorillaz is a, I don't understand, like, how that's a legacy band, but they are, undeniably. It's very weird to me, though, like, the career that they've had, that they are bigger than Blur, at least in America. But as you said, now Damon Alburn is going back to Blur. I don't really know if that's, like, an upgrade for him. <laughs> yeah. I, that Like, that's a record I don't see anyone... Younger than us caring about. That is like a memory hold. Like that is the, that is in pole position for, uh, you know, the second half. Um, I'm going to go with M83 and I don't feel good saying that because I actually kind of like that album. There's a couple songs in particular. There's a song Laura on that record that I think is really beautiful. And I go back to that every now and then, but I just go back to the fact that M83 has, I think, the best or the biggest indie pop hit of the 2010s in Midnight City. Like this incredibly popular, very influential song. And it's kind of it after that. You know, you've got like that record they put in in, in 2016 with the Muppet on there. What's that record called? Junk. Junk. Yeah. And this was uh, Anthony Gonzalez, you know, purposely going back to his classic sound. And it just seemed like maybe you and I care and other people of our generation. It seemed like nobody cared. And that album just disappeared mm-hmm. instantly. So I don't know. Like it, It's one of those things where you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, I guess M83 isn't as big of a deal as I would have thought. You know, like this is this, like, okay, this has been a reality check for me with this band. I'm, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt until I see them on tour. Um, which is happening in the fall. Like, I just, I I feel like I'm a little too biased, like, to call it the most memory hold album, even if it is a strong candidate, because, you know, I've interviewed Anthony Gonzalez a bunch of times, and if it were up to him, like, this is exactly the kind of, uh, this is exactly the kind of response he was looking for, where it's just like, yeah, maybe he won't shit on it as much, but I don't want to get bigger than I already am. Um, And, you know, like, it's not like the Foo Fighters, like trying to go back to their sound or something like that. But um, yeah, it's it, they're kind of in that MGMT sort of mode right now, where uh, they if they can just put out albums every five or six years, and I, I think that Anthony Gonzalez likes Midnight City more than MGMT likes Kids or Electric Feel. But um, yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a bad choice. Let's get to our next category here. It's called Comeback of the Year. Big category here. The nominees are Foo Fighters, Yola Tango, Bully, mm. Youth Lagoon, and look, okay, you're going to have to explain this last one. <laughs> this is definitely like the Louis C.K. winning a Grammy 
nominee <laughs> here at the Indy Cassies. You put Arcade Fire in Comeback of the Year. Now, can you explain why you put them there? Yeah, because our, our listeners can't read our outline. Like, I can't make the Twitter, like, in parentheses, derogatory uh, joke. But they're low-key getting booked for festivals again. Like, they played, I think, something in the water, the Pharrell uh, Festival in Virginia. And I see them at the top of the other one. I look, I didn't it's not that like I find it wholly unexpected, but I didn't think it would be this quick. This is definitely like, you know, Dave Chappelle or like Louis C.K. Netflix special type career arc going on. Um who knows what like maybe they're just gonna I, I'm 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 really going out on a limb here, but like I get on Facebook and through emails like advertisements for like Ryan Adams coming into town. And these shows, like, do pretty well. So I don't know if they're just going to be a mega version of that. But, yeah, they did not go away for very long. Well, next year is the 20th anniversary of, of Funeral. Ooh. And I assume <laughs> that they'll do some sort of anniversary tour for oh, that. Yeah. Which, I, you know, may be the real comeback for them on the road. But, yeah, you said, like, Ryan Adams is touring with the Cardinals this year. And he's does well with his solo acoustic stuff it just goes to show again an old truism that only the people who like you can cancel you if the whole rest of the world thinks you're a scumbag it doesn't matter as long as there's twenty thousand people in every city on the tour map that wants to buy a ticket to your show you you can make a living doing that i mean i'm curious to see what their situation will be uh when the album comes out like their next record um because you know it, it's not the Win Butler band. There are other people in that band, you know. And maybe if you're a publicist, you say, "Well, what about the rest of the band?" Right. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the angle. I don't know. They're not going to win this category, though. No. Are, they're not for me anyway. Yeah. Like, who's your winner and comeback of the year? All right. So I mean, for me, like a, a a comeback, like as far as the most interesting comeback, it's not like the one where you you know come back from like a long hiatus and function at a high level, you know, like my buddy Valentine did, nor is it a situation like Yola Tango where, you know, every 10 years they come back and make like a, they make great albums and then they come back like every 10 years and make a really great album. You know, that, that is just what Yola Tango does. So it's not entirely unexpected. They would, um, you know, come through in 2023 with, you know, their most celebrated album in a long time. To me, the most, like the highest degree of difficulty for a comeback is, to be like a band that was like kind of popping for a while, like, you know, a blog rock buzz bin or, you know, a blog rock type buzzy band, like kind of disappear for a bit and then make an album that's actually like, wait, this is actually really good and have it be celebrated. I think we saw that with like, say, Symbols Eat Guitars with Lose. And so this is why I'm going to put Youth Lagoon in there. I know this is like kind of a recent one, but like when you look at the trajectory of that band, uh, their first two records, fucking awesome, still hold up. Uh, but, you know, they're a band that people could lose sight of. They're a Remember Some Guys type uh, early aughts band. And for, like, a very long time, he wasn't even doing stuff under Youth Lagoon. Like, first off, his name is Trevor Powers, which is an awesome name. I would never have chosen, uh, you know, an artist name. But he was doing kind of like a, you know, we have perfume genius at home <laughs> sort of art rock thing. And... You know, when I heard his new album, which is Heaven is a Junkyard, came out last week, I'm like, wait, this is this is not only good, this is really good. And 
the that is such a high degree of difficulty. I think we can put Bully in there a bit as well. Um, maybe less so because you know she's been more consistent over the years. But um, it's not the biggest comeback of the year, but it's the highest degree of difficulty. So I got to celebrate that. Yeah, when you were doing your preamble, I thought you were going to say Bully. Uh, who, if if I was going to go with your argument, that's the band I would have chosen out of our nominees. And it's a little bit different because, you know, Alicia from Bully, she's been making records pretty consistently over the past six, seven years. And I've liked her records to varying degrees, but it did feel like maybe she was starting to fade a little bit. Mm-hmm. It felt like the records were a little samey to me. I was definitely less excited to hear her fourth album than I was like her first or second album. And then she puts out this record this year called lucky for you. And it's one of those albums like where you kind of have to do a double take because I remember this came out. I saw it in my email box and I was like, Oh, it's a new bully album. I'm not going to rush to hear that. And then you see other people talking about it being like, no, this is actually like a really good record. And then I went to listen to it, and I was like, wow, this is actually maybe my favorite thing she's ever done. Like, I like this album a lot. And just goes to show, you can make one of your best records on, like, your, what, like, fourth or fifth album. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it takes a while to really have things come together. I mean, that used to be a more common trajectory, I think, in the pre-internet era, where you, you had the time to build up to a really good record. But I think... It really worked for Bully. So I, I like that record a lot. I put that in my top 15 albums of the first half of the year. I, I like it quite a bit. But for me, the obvious choice is Foo Fighters. Uh, and obvi- you know, you've know, you got Taylor Hawkins passing away. It's unsure whether they're even going to continue as a band. You also have the fact that you know they've been around for like 30 years. And you know I love the first three albums. I like Wasting Light from 2011. But other than that, there's a lot of sort of samey sounding arena rock records that I don't dislike, but I don't really love. And then this album comes out, and I'm just kind of blown away by how much I liked it. I think there's a lot of good songs on that record. It's an album that was so surprising to me that I had to check myself that I wasn't overrating it. Mm -hmm. I do think that some of the response to it has been like a little over the top like i you know people have called it a masterpiece i don't think it's a masterpiece um but i do think it's their best record since the late 90s and i and and i think it's like the best possible version of a foo fighters record that you could get the songs on that record they feel more like the the more personal statements that dave Grohl was doing on records like the color and the shape and like the self-titled record as opposed to like him trying to be like the mayor of rock right. again. You know, these broad statements or I'm going to experiment or I'm going to show that rockers can also play songs by the Bee Gees and you know that kind of yeah. stuff or I'm going to go on the Grammys with Dead Mouse and I'm going to, you know, show the versatility of 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 a band like this. This is just about writing like good honest rock songs and it was really refreshing for me and that's an that's another record that I put on my top 15 list. I I like that record. Quite a bit. Way more than I would have expected. Let's get to our last category. And this is the Them <laughs> album of the year. This is the album where, for us, there's the biggest discrepancy between the critical acclaim and like how we personally feel about the album. So like you look at the reviews and you say, Them? <laughs> They're getting all this stuff? The nominees are Boy Genius, Foo Fighters. You put Foo Fighters. I put Foo yeah. Fighters on there. 
even though you reviewed the album for Pitchfork. I did. So you're so you're part of the critical acclaim, but you're also theming your own review, essentially, in this category, possibly. Let's pause that for a second. I want to hear more from you on that. E- Eve's two more. And then JPEG Mafia, Danny Brown. Now, I don't disagree. I, I disagree on Eve's uh, two more. I think that's a great record. I haven't really listened to the JPEG Mafia, Danny Brown album. I mean, I think it's between those two that I've mentioned first, right? Well, I feel like there's not a lot of drama in this category, unless you're going to pull a curveball on me. Because <laughs> I, I, I feel like you want to say Foo Fighters here. Well, let me just explain, because you're, you're absolutely correct in that I was part of the critical acclaim, but... I gave this album a 7.0, which I think puts me way at the bottom of the reviews happening uh, for this. Like, I dragged down that Metacritic score. I I think this mu- a 7.0 might be the highest a Foo Fighters uh, album has ever gotten at Pitchfork. Uh, no, I, I remember, like, looking at, like, through it and, like, the color and the shape when it was reissued. Uh, I got to put Stuart Berman on blast here. Like, th- this guy gave it a... Yeah, it was a 5.8, which is really something else. Um, But here's why. Because this is one of the most celebrated, like one of the most, not even most celebrated, most critically acclaimed. Like you're talking about people are calling it Masterpiece. And look, I'm pro Foo Fighters. Everlong is my take for like the best rock song of the 90s. When I'm spicier, I'll say it's better than any Nirvana song, Um, which is more or less saying the same thing, but just different ways of phrasing it. And look, the first Foo Fighters album, The Color and the Shape, I wouldn't even say those are masterpieces. Like, uh, they're good albums. I enjoy them. Uh, but, I mean, there there's filler on The Color and the Shape. There are songs that are cringe on The Color and the Shape. So, I get where people are coming from. And I'm going to let Dave have his moment. But... Um, I think that it's a little, it's an album that like people allow themselves to get bit carried away with. Uh, so, but otherwise I'm surprised that you didn't put Caroline Polachek in here. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the thing with Caroline Polachek is that that record has actually grown on me a bit more since it's come out. Like it, you know, we did have a category. We had to cut it for, for time here because our show is running along, but we, we had a grower of the year category and I already talked about how, uh, 100 Gex really grew on me over the year and that, became one of my favorite albums of, of 2023 so far. Caroline Polachek hasn't risen that high for me yet, but my only thing with that is that that is the most well-reviewed album of the year, yeah. according to Metacritic. It has yeah. a 94. That's like that's like to pimp a butterfly, like fetch the bolt cutters type numbers. <laughs> so I would only maybe pick that album just in terms of like the praise that I don't think it deserves a 94. But the album I did choose, and I, I don't want to keep picking on this band, but they're the obvious choice for me. As obvious as Foo Fighters are comeback of the year, for me, like the Them album is Boy Genius, which is the second highest reviewed album of the year. It has a 90, huh. uh, which is pretty much higher than any album that the individual Boy Geniuses have done on their own. And I've said this before on the show, I don't want to beat this horse to death, but... I just don't think this album is as good as what these artists have done on their own. And I don't really even like it as much as like the, 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 the original Boy Genius EP. I think that there was a certain amount of bloat with the coverage of this record this year where it felt, I don't know, there was like a 
definite lack of critical discernment, I think, with this record. That I think over time is probably going to hurt this record because I don't think it lives up to the press that it got. And that says, that's not, not to take anything away from the individual songwriters because I like them all on their own. I think they all do good work. But to me, this is an example of three streams of goodwill being at their peak and it paying off here. And maybe this wasn't the album that deserved that amount of payoff. I just don't think that these are like their best songs. I think there's some good songs on there. I also think that there's some pretty weak songs on mm-hmm. there as well. Um, I think that there's certain songwriting traits that all three of them have that could be looked at more critically. And that I think they're being encouraged in a way that I don't think is going to be helpful to their art later on. You know, I think that there could be more of a discerning eye with some of the lyrics that they wrote on this record. There's some real groaners mm-hmm. on this album. And I, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say that about their previous records. There's just like a real sort of high on their own supply Ooh. feel to this album to me that I think is maybe going to make it age not quite as well when we listen to it in a year or two. Mm. But maybe you'll say that about my take on this album. I don't know. But I, that's just how I feel about this record at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, the people I talk about, uh, like, uh, my friend Allie is, a, like, a Boy Genius fan. And they're, like, the stereotypical Boy Genius fan. Like, they're 29, like, recently non-binary, was wearing a Boy Genius shirt. And I talked to her about the concert uh, that from last week and and she was like yeah you know i like the first couple songs and it got kind of samey like i think a lot more people have that uh opinion than are willing to let on but um yeah i mean but it makes sense and also like i put <laughs> i put the jpeg mafia danny brown album in there to kind of bookend the boy genius album because you know as every you know, as everyone who's familiar with that album knows the jpeg mafia danny brown album is called scaring the hose so um, you know, there's kind of a self-awareness to that, um, which, you know, for a certain uh, a, a certain subset of music uh, listeners, like the album of the year or rate your music kind of nerds, that's their version of Boy Genius. So, and, you know, I think it's overrated. I think that the Billy Woods, uh, Kenny Siegel album fit that same bill and did it much better. But I'm going to go with a little bit of a curveball. And, you know, I understand the... Um, I understand, like, kind of the parasocial aspect of Boy Genius and JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown, but Eve's Tumor is the one that baffles me the most. I think that Eve's Tumor, um, visually, like, they do a lot of things that people say they want out of rock music, and I don't think it's a bad album by any stretch of the imagination, but particularly with this one, I find myself going back to their earlier material because the newer stuff just seems kind of conventional to me in a way that's like not really satisfying. Like it reminds me of like how people would talk about like St. Vincent is like St. Vincent's the new Bowie St. Vincent's the new like talking heads. Um, and for Eve's tumor, it's like, man, this is just like Prince. Uh, and I can't remember a single song from the new album. Um, I think Eve's tumor kind of sort of like St. Vincent is becoming this avatar for like what, uh, rock is supposed to be or the future of rock but it's always framed through like a backwards looking lens so not a bad album by any stretch but I think that there's just kind of this reflex uh, that Eve's tumor brings up that I find that isn't really given a lot of scrutiny so 
Yeah, I, I disagree with that. I don't think of them as like the future of rock. I think of it more as like a more decadent alternative to what currently feels awfully wholesome in the mainstream of, of indie music. You know, we are definitely in a period like where uh, things just feel very straight, I think. And when you have a record like that East Tumor record, which is bracing more of like a decadent type aesthetic, it just feels refreshing. You know, and, and this goes back to the indie sleaze conversation. It goes back to like Monoskin. You know, like this has been like a thread, I think, in 2023, where you are seeing people reacting against the sort of singer-songwriterification of indie music. And like, look, I love singer-songwriters as much as anyone, probably more than most people, but we are awfully singer-songwriter heavy right now. And it just feels like we maybe need something else here. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's like a little sexier, grittier, again, more decadent. I, that, I think, might be something that people want more and more as this decade unfolds. It's going to be interesting to see how that happens. Because we're coming out again of like the COVID era. We're all sequestered, you know, in our homes. We're very separate from people. But now, you know, we're starting to like rub shoulders again. We're maybe a little less afraid of germs. <laughs> you know, people want to be swapping different kinds of fluids maybe. I don't know. I don't want to go too deep into that. That could just be like what we see in the 2020s. I'm very curious what the young people out there are going to embrace uh, as we move forward. Yeah, and I think Eve's tumor like goes for that in a way that I find admirable. But I remember... Uh, someone I was talking to about the first record, uh, or not the first record, but the first one that came out on XL, like the one with Void on it, which is my favorite uh, Eve's Tumor song. They said it sounds like Orgy. And I'm like, man, I really wish the new stuff sounded more like Orgy, you know, like the the real trashy pop bangers. Uh, Org- the Orgy Assance is upon us. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I, I will we'll ride for stitches like. You, if you follow me on Twitter, like every like every couple of weeks, I'll just post about how Stitches is is just such a fucking awesome song. So if you're listening, Eve's Tumor, uh, 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 you know I'm kidding because I love. I'm trying to help you out here, man. Now we reach the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? So, yeah, I gotta give a I gotta give a shout out here to our pal Chris Payne, um, friend of the pod, uh, friend in person. He he wrote for Billboard for a long time. Comes out to San Diego every now and again for Dia de los Deftones. But his book uh, came out uh, called Where Are Your Boys Tonight? The Oral History of Emo's Mainstream Explosion, 1999 to 2008. Um, shout out to Chris for, you know, not kind of stepping over the book proposal I'm putting together. Uh, he's covering more of the, you know, MySpace, basically like Fallout Boy, but also Cobra Starship, Gym Class Heroes. And his goal was to create a meet me in the bathroom, but for emo of that era and even if that just sounds like the most repulsive thing to you, um, to me it's not. I like the music. I like the oral history format. If you you could also read Meet Me in the Bathroom, even if you don't like the Strokes or Interpol, because there's always fun stuff happening when there's money 
in the music industry, particularly for like, you know, rock bands who aren't particularly uh, self-aware. And so you get a lot of the gossip, you get a lot of the cool stories. If you like the music, you get to see where these guys kind of evolved from in a way that's like entertaining, but also edifying. So I'm also in this book, you know, I think that's worth mentioning. So, you know, I'm like changing stories with like Max Bemis from Say Anything in a way that feels, you know, it feels very validating for me. So um, if you like the stuff I talk about, if you like uh, that music, and if you like, uh, you know, indie dirt gossip, uh, where are your boys tonight? Out in stores. Yes, and I'll recommend this book as well. I actually blurbed this book, so I've, I've read it. I enjoyed it for all the reasons that you said. I mean, these books are always super fun. You can just pick it up, put it on your coffee table, you know, just crush a chapter. You're going to just have a good time. You're probably going to want to read more than one chapter in a row because it's just that kind of book. Um, I got to shout out my boy Patterson Hood of Drive-By Truckers. Uh, he has... Uh, an archival release coming out this week. It's the anniversary edition of the Dirty South. I guess this is billed as the 20th anniversary of the Dirty South, even though that record came out in 2004. So it's technically the 19th anniversary (laughs) of the Dirty South. But this is an interesting version of the record. Instead of just like giving you the record you already own and throwing in some bonus tracks or outtakes or whatever, they've actually reimagined this album, added three songs. They remixed four songs and, Perhaps most like controversially, they re-recorded two of the vocals. Huh. And I just got to say, you know, I love the Dirty South. We've talked about Drive-By Truckers on the show before. This is my favorite uh, of their albums. So I have mixed feelings about going in George Lucas style and changing a record that I already love. But if you just imagine that this is just like an alternate version of the album, it's very fascinating. And it's interesting to see, you know, where their heads were at when they were making the record and like how they look at it now. There's a big booklet in the record that goes deep into the making of the album. And you've got Patterson Hood, Mike Cooley, and Jason Isbell all doing like track by track commentary in there. So it's great. And, And it doesn't replace the original album, but it's like a good sort of adjunct to this record that you may already love, or if you haven't heard it yet, you will hopefully come to love, because I think it is a masterpiece. I will use that word with the Dirty South. So yeah, definitely check that out. 20th anniversary of the Dirty South. Great record. Very interesting uh, archival release of that album. Yeah, I'm predicting a TikTok craze that, you know, doing the uh, Danko manual shuffle. (laughs) That would be amazing. Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 